But I was groomed from the age of two and on. So by the age of 18, I just fully walked into being trafficked. I'd imagine this had to have been done somewhat in broad daylight. Only I've told many people that, you know, I was trafficked and they'll say, oh, what country did you come from? I'm like, no, it's here, United States. I accepted Jesus into my heart. And when I did, I said, okay, I'll keep my child. Now what? I'm homeless and I'm pregnant. Welcome back to the Loopcast. Today, I'm joined by Jean Marie Davis. Uh, this is an interview I've been looking forward to for a long time. She is the executive director of Branches Pregnancy Center in Vermont. Uh, you have quite the winding story to get here, but first off, I just want to welcome you on the show. How are you doing today, Jean? Thank you so much for inviting me, Tom. I am doing amazing. Good. Uh, we just talked, I, I, I should have known better than to do this because I try to keep this an episode, but uh, you had a little bit of a crazy day. I started with how your day is going. And uh, I don't know if you want to share with the audience what your, maybe the, a day in the life of the uh, executive director of branches looks like, but what, what happened today? Uh, so yes, uh, yesterday I was working at branches and uh, our sister uh, organization that we partner with, which is House of Hope, New Hampshire, the Founding director Phyllis Fells asked me to go with her to pick up a lady to get into the program, which is uh, for women and children who are dealing with life controlling issues, whether it's drugs or alcohol. And so I drove down to Boston to pick up a lady, and it was like one o'clock in the morning when we got back. And then <laughs> I was coming to work uh, at my center this morning, and I realized that. My hair wasn't really together, and my son was like, oh, mom, you look fine. <laughs> you're, you're okay. <laughs> and my shirt I had was like, oh, these are different colors, but this month is human traffic, uh, trafficking awareness, so to wear blue. So I've been trying to make sure that I have blue in, in all my outfits, and I'm like, oh, but this is an interview, and I so forgot about the interview, <laughs> and I'm running the ministry, and I was like, oh, okay, so here we are. Gene, I have to say, I think I think the life of this uh, this woman definitely comes before any interview or and your your son's right. You look great. Uh, shout out to your son Jonah. We, I want to get into that before, but as you mentioned, it's um, Human Trafficking Month, and uh, that's a very personal story to you. Could you take me back to the beginning of how your life started off? Ah, uh, yes. So I was trafficked, and what I mean by that, so I was officially trafficked, or with my traffickers and things at the age of 18, which meant that I actually was sold from one pimp to another. Um, but I was groomed is one of the words that they would use in the trafficking world um, or coerced uh, from the age of two and on. So, you know, my family members, close family members, they got me uh, doing things uh, which led up to um, being, you know, molested, raped, many different things happened to me. Uh, as a young age. So by the age of 18, I just fully walked into being trafficked to where I uh, needed money and I needed a place. And uh, most parents, um, they look and pry on women who are insecure with low self-esteem or is struggling um, financially or in many different ways. And so for that, uh, that's how I got into 
trafficking. And so it went on until about 29. So my life was up and down and in and out, uh, 33 different states. And that's where a lot of people uh, don't quite understand, you know, this is United States. I've told many people that, you know, I was trafficked and they'll say, oh, which country did you come from? And I tell you, that bothers me so much. I get so mad and frustrated because I'm like, no, it's here, United States, born and raised, you know, fourth generation. So it's not like, you know, my I had family members who were immigrants and I'm the first generation born here or the, even the second. No, I'm like fourth generation, fifth generation born here. Jean-Marie, th- thank you so much for sh- sharing that. I know that's incredibly personal and traumatic. And hopefully this could be a good opportunity as I know it is awareness month. I think some people, like you said, they think of it as a foreign country and, but I see 32 States. I'd imagine this had to have been done somewhat in broad daylight. Uh, Can you let us into uh, how this could possibly happen in a place like America in broad daylight? Sure. Uh, Actually, I can give you an example with my son and I, uh, Jonah. So we went down to Florida. This was back in 20, uh, 2021, uh, we flew down to Florida. We saw some friends, and I live in New England. And April is very cold in New England, uh, but other places, it's you know, Florida was like 80, 90 degree weather. Coming back to New England, it was in the 30s, snow, uh, and so I was at the airport in Jacksonville, Florida. And this woman was in the terminal screaming uh, and people were literally walking past, looking at their cell phones, trying to get to their terminal. And this woman was screaming, I love you. I love you. Chasing after this man. And I told my son, we need to pray. I said, this girl needs Jesus. We need to pray. She's um, in a situation. And I prayed and I asked the Lord, I said, please don't let her get on the same plane as me. And sure enough, she got on the same plane as me and she had a plastic bag in her hand and that was it. And she was wearing a really short skirt. And we got off the plane in Philadelphia and I was doing a transfer. Now, mind you, my son and I, we went and had breakfast. You know, we we hung around and we started walking towards our terminal. And you would think being, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, it's a very big airport you would never think that you would run into the same people again. Sure enough, the girl was right in front of me with that man. And I, we, my son and I literally watched a transaction go, uh, money go from one man to another. And she got sold to that other man. And he got on the plane with her or wherever he went. And the man that brought her there turned right back around and went the opposite way. And now, wow. and people just walking all around them, not paying attention, just moving it. And that was right you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. Wow. So what would you recommend for someone to do in that situation if you see something like that happen? Well, uh, unless you know how to deal with men and deal with a situation like that, I would not advise people to approach the situation. However, you know, if you're in a airport and you observe, you know, everybody knows that we bring carry-on luggage, you know, if you have, you know, two bags. But if there's things that don't look right, but that would mean that people would have to stop looking at their phones 24-7. And they would right. have to start paying attention to, uh, to their surroundings. And I think that this nation has lost um, being aware of their surroundings and what's going on around them. 
because they're so consumed of, oh, what's going on on my social media. And so they would then, you know, reach out to, uh, they can reach out to uh, security, police officers, you know, like I was at the tr- at the airport last night and there was state police officers, there were city police officers, you know, there's, there's a lot of security and people that they can get a hold of and they, you could just say, hey, I saw this or I'm seeing this, um, you know, can you do something? And that's, you know, people don't understand that you don't have to be the hero. I mean, yes, there are people uh, like myself. I go out into the streets and I will pull a girl off the streets. I, you know, I've, I deal with, but I've been, I lived that life, so I understand. But there are people that if you don't know, connect with a ministry that does. Like I said, New um, House of Hope New Hampshire is one of our um, sister partners. Uh, because women come in and they're pregnant, so they they come to branches, and uh, so at the other day, they that's what they do. That they're trained to do those type of things. You have to find what uh, organization is trained. Yeah, and in your personal story, uh, I believe you were basically pulled out of this life, from what I understand, by uh, a lady named Phyllis, and she was associated with something. Could you just take me into that story of how you ended up escaping this life of trafficking? Uh, yeah, so I was 29 and I ran, was running for my life. I had people who had threatened to kill my son or my child at the time. I didn't know if it was a boy and people who wanted to kill me, family members and all. And so I came into New Hampshire and I ended up at a pregnancy center and Phyllis Phelps uh, was there and she uh, shared the gospel with me. And I had told her that I was abortion-minded. And uh, she told me about Jesus. She goes, I know a man named Jesus. And it was very hard because when she said, I know a man named Jesus, I had been raped and molested and beaten by so many men that I was like, any man figure in my in my peripheral view, I had not, I had wanted nothing to do with. But there was something about that the word named Jesus. And I said to her, okay, I'll give this man a try. And uh, I accepted Jesus into my heart. And when I did, um, I said, okay, I'll keep my child. Now what? I'm homeless and I'm pregnant. What are you going to do? And so for that, she's actually the founder of House of Hope New Hampshire. And that's, that's who uh, I went down to Boston with was with Phyllis Phelps. I said, I'll get another woman. Uh, and so we um, we always are tag teaming. We always are working together now. Um, we are always trying to share the gospel as much and share people, tell people about who we are. And, you know, it's pretty awesome because that was nine years ago. Actually, once again, Phyllis Phelps is the one that gave me the application to become a director here at Branches in Vermont. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, it's really cool uh, because when she's when she got me into a program, she literally saved my son's life. She saved my son's life, and she saved my life. Wow! Uh, one thing you said that really stuck out: uh, abortion minded. Can you explain what you mean by uh, you were abortion minded at the time? Yep. So um, I had dealt with um, being human trafficked and dealing with the types of abuse. Um, we are considered damaged goods if we have a child and we're not going to be able to make enough money for them. So when 
I was pregnant and I had nothing, no worse, no value. Um, I was scared. And then knowing that people wanted to kill me and my child, I was to the point where, okay, who's going to live? Me or, or this child? But then it came down to, okay, well, if I have a girl, and this is what I told Phyllis, I said, if I, I said, okay, I said, if I have a girl, I said, it's a definite abortion. I told her, I said, it's definite abortion. I said, because I don't want my daughter to go through what I went through. And if it's a boy, I'll keep it. And she said, why? I said, because of the fact that I would, I, I want, I, I feel that I could raise, you know, show my son, show my boy a better way of living as a man than the men that I've had to experience in my life. Uh, and so being in a point where, you know, and I'm not, a lot of people are like, I was raped basically, you know, my, my, my son is a, a product of rape and a product of human trafficking. My, my pimp has sex with me. And so, and, and did many things to me. And so, you know, some women are like, oh, I want to have an abortion because I was raped. And they, they think that, uh, you know, like I can't look at my child and I couldn't. When I had my son for the first six months, it was very hard for me to look at my son because he looked like my, my trafficker and I had to pray. And that's where Jesus came in and he helped me. You know, I can honestly tell you, my son is nine years old. I love him to pieces. <laughs> he is my little mini me. He is, he, he runs and he thinks he runs the show and that he's the director and that he got it all. And I just said, wow, look what I could have lost if I had, um, went on emotions and feelings, um, and not truth of that this is a life, you know? And then not only that, but, you know, I look at my son and, and he says things that are so prophetic and so anointed by, by God that I say, you're the next Billy Graham. You know, that's what people don't realize. Like your children could be the next president, the next Michael Jordan or, you know, uh, Maya Angelo or, it, they they could be the next person that created it, you know, something that can change the whole world. We would never know, you know, and that's what breaks my heart the most is that looking at my son and knowing the, I mean, he, he blows so many people away. Um, the way he speaks, the knowledge that he has, uh, it, it blesses my heart. And you brought up this, and I think this is a very undercovered element of the abortion debate in the country, is that there are people that talk about abortion as it is somehow freeing and a part of basically uh, being a modern woman, uh, having the ability to free yourself of that somehow. And I think after listening to your story on a personal level, it appears that it's used as a tool to keep women enslaved. Uh, in your example, in sex trafficking, which is much more widespread than I think a lot of people know. Um, how, is that very, just frustrating for you to see kind of the polished mainstream narrative that abortion is somehow freedom to 
the average woman in America? Yes, because they don't understand. I think more so the frustrating for me is the fact that in this culture that we live in, they go off a of hearsay and they go off of um, of what they read, but not what they actually dive into. So meaning this, if back in the day uh, when someone would say something, you would go and research it and find out if that's actually true, right? And a lot of people don't understand that a lot of abortions, abortion really came to actually get rid of the black babies. And so there, there's a deeper understanding of what abortion is. It was trying to annihilate an actual culture, right? And so when they say, my body, my choice, well, in actuality, no, people don't understand you're, you're actually limiting your choices and not actually expanding it, right? Because there's a lot of health risks and health problems. I know many women who um, have gone and had many abortions and now they want a child and they can't because medically they so much stuff has been done to their bodies that they can't actually have it. So when you have a husband or there's so many things that go behind it, it's it's not about just at the moment. And a lot of people these days focus on the moment, but not what happens 10 years down the road. What What is your, you know, when I was, when I was out uh, being trafficked, I remember um, I had ran from my pimps um, out of uh, LA area and I went to another state and I had went to a clinic to just get tested for STDs and all the things. And the woman asked me, I'll never forget the nurse asked me, she said, how many partners have you had? And I said, you know, in the last three weeks, it's been almost um, a thousand partners. And she said, what? And I said, and 98% of them were unprotected. And so she tested me and she came back and she said, oh, you're clean. You have no disease. She goes, but you know that HIV, you have to be tested for the next 10 years because it could come up and you could be affected down the road. Thankfully, by the grace of God, I, I'm, I don't have HIV. I don't have any uh, sexual transmitted disease. But that's where people don't understand. You do an abortion because you focus right now, but you don't know what happens 10 years from now from your body. Right? There, you limit your choices. And, and I tell people this all the time. Uh, Pregnancy centers, like here at Branches, we give you the actual choice. When I went in as a, a client uh, nine years ago, they gave me a choice. They gave me the options. Okay, this is what you have. Now you choose. That's real choice if we want to define what real choice is and what the world and, and society right now is trying to Paying on people, it's because of the fact that people don't want to do their own research. Totally, and there's politicians in mainstream media that have really, I, in my opinion, predatory, predatorily painted pregnancy resource centers, crisis pregnancy centers, as uh, these type of predatory, like they're tricking people into things. Uh, can you just answer people that maybe haven't heard from a director? What do you do at branches? What what services do you provide for women to set the record straight? So at Branches, uh, we have a boutique where if 
where we serve uh, the clientele we have are mainly homeless uh, women, um, low-income housing, and also uh, women that are being trafficked as well. Uh, they can come in and get clothes for their children if they need to, if they're pregnant. Uh, we have diapers here. We have formula. Uh, there's classes. There's parenting classes um, for the mothers and for the fathers. Uh, there's uh, uh, relationship classes for the high school students. There we have also uh, we as just implemented um, uh, a couple of programs last year, which was one. It was a human trafficking um, program and a domestic violence program because women that are being human trafficked end up pregnant and they have um, they're trying to either get out or trying to deal with it, or if they've been domestic in a domestic situation and a, they don't know how to handle it. So we have support groups for that. But we also have a group that's called PATH, which is a program for women who have had an abortion and now they need to go and, and have a group, a support group to handle and deal with the psychological mental problems and issues that they might be having on themselves. Because some people don't realize once you have actual, once you've gone through an abortion, most women have an emotional and mental breakdown where they psychologically need the walkthrough. Now we're not licensed counselors or nothing like that. We're just support group. We're just here to provide and, and give uh, resources. We're a non-medical site, so we don't do ultrasounds here, but we do provide um, uh, resources. Uh, we do have a relationship with our police department, with our fire department, and with our town managers so that in our hospital, so if there are women that need help, whether it's at the hospital or they're trying to get out of a situation from their trafficker or whatever, we could call the um, the police and they will help us in, in supporting us and trying to get women out. But we also provide different things for like men if they are struggling um, with drugs or alcohol and things like that, they need to get into a program. We provide them with resources for that. The same with a woman. Uh, you know, like I said, we, we partner with House of Hope New Hampshire. Uh, we also deal with... Uh, with people who are needing a job, we have resources to help them to get a job. We have resources to help them if they're dealing with their bank account and, and getting bank loans. We have many things. Uh, myself, I I work with the city and, and sitting on the um, housing coalition to find out, okay, how can our clients get into the housing and get housing if they need to? So we're in everything to know to help our, our clients out. Our model here at Branches is uh, where we do life with each other, however that may look. Um, I don't care if they are high and they need to come in and they need clothes for their child. We're going to help them. We're going to walk through with them. Why? Because I was once, a I did crystal meth. When I met Phyllis, I was, you know, coming off of crystal meth. Whatever it looks like, we're here to help. So that's really interesting because uh, I know there's a Vermont law, SB 37, and I know you're working with the Alliance Defending Freedom to challenge this, but uh, in essence, it censors pregnancy resource centers' abilities to advertise their services and pro prohi prohibits you from offering even non-medical services. Um, I'm seeing fines up to $10,000, um, but uh, abortion clinics, non-licensed staff are able to pass out brochures about abortion um, in which you can't. So- after hearing all of this, from your perspective, why why do you why do you think the state and why do you think politicians and media are targeting people that are trying to walk with people in need for life here? 
Well, because we are legally in the lawsuit right now, I can't answer part of that question legally without my legal attorneys. Uh, Understood. Understood. Yeah. But what I can say is uh, for us uh, branches, we have brought to our city in Brattleboro, Vermont, um, hope to where they know that we are here to help and we are here to um they have met us and they know us once again i go back to originally in the beginning when i said back in the day we used to research somebody would tell us something and we'd actually go research it we wouldn't just go off of what people said uh it, it's not oh okay this one and done it wasn't like it wasn't like that uh and that's what's today is uh this generation has made it to where whatever you say it goes and they don't question it they don't uh research it they just accept it and then oh that's who you are and it's almost judging a book by its cover without actually reading the cover yeah and after the dobbs decision i know there was a lot of uh violence across the country vandalism violence against uh places like branches uh were you ever affected by any of that or concerned for the safety of your operation uh, of course, we always are um, because of the uproar of things that are done. So, you know, we um, we have we have protocols just like every other. You know, we have protocols set. And we um, do what we can, and we continue to help women and men um, because we are about family. I am much, which is this is not a political correct statement, but I am very much for men. Um, I support men. I support families. Um, yes, I'm a single mother right now. However, I support a family unit. I support men being men and um, being able to provide and be the men that they're called to be in the United States. And I think uh, in this culture, uh, women have degraded and put down a lot of men and they need to rise up. So uh, you know, being at branches, we are very focused on family-oriented uh, relations and helping out the family unit. Yeah, and that really stuck out to me, especially after hearing you earlier, uh, you know, almost to the point of not really being able to look at your son. Uh, what has caused such a strong 180 uh, in your perception of men and, and importance and focus on what you do with branches to not only help women, but also to affirm the positive aspects of men? Yeah, so I I was talking to my pastor one t- uh, one day, and I was dealing with um, not f- being able to forgive uh, people, uh, my pimps, and uh, I remember him saying to me, "You know, what did Jesus do for you?" And I said, "He took my sins on the cross, and He forgave me." And I remember I went and I prayed, and I sought the Lord and he put it heavy on my heart. And he said, as I have forgiven you, you need to forgive those who have done things to you. And at that moment I broke down and I cried and I said, who am I? I am no perfect person. Nobody in this world is perfect. And I, at that moment forgave every one of my traffickers, all of my uh, male um, figures in my family, uh, I forgave all. And I said, if I, you know, if God could forgive me, 
who am I not to be able to forgive others? Now, I'm not saying that that that's for every case and that's for every person. Uh, that's my story, you know, and what God did in my life. Um, but I realize looking back because my story is very unique. I had multiple uh, pimps. I didn't just have one. And I remember different pimps uh, who used to beat me and different things. And they would tell me, well, that's because that's how I was raised or, and then I would, and the Lord gave me the eyes of pity and compassion showing that they too were not raised properly and they were not shown the love of Jesus. And so because of that, that's what made me see, no, God called men to be men and women to be women and for the family unit to be as one and to rise up and to raise children and to multiply and to be fruitful. And that's where I said, okay, I need to start supporting men in the roles of them being men. Almost speechless. That was incredible. Um, and and uh, your son, Jonah, uh, I want to hear about this. So you named him Jonah. That's It comes from a very familiar Bible tale. Um, why did you choose that name Jonah uh, for your son? Because, well, uh, actually, I'm not the one that chose it. Um, God did. And I can say that confidently because when I was in a 24-hour prayer, uh, and I this is right when I had just barely accepted Jesus into my heart, uh, I wanted to actually name my son all my pimp's names because I knew nothing else. And I remember the pastor came and he said to me, he goes, I think the Lord wants you to name him Jonah. And I said, okay. And his wife said, I think the Lord wants and wants you to name him Nathaniel. So his name is Jonah Nathaniel. And I said, okay. And then I looked it up because names have meaning. So I looked up his name and Jonah Nathaniel means new beginnings with God. It's amazing. And I know that you're going to be involved with the March for Life this year. And, yes, that's uh, so I, exciting. <laughs> why? Uh, first off, why, why is that prospect exciting to you uh, personally? And then what type of message are you hoping to convey to the pro-life movement more broadly and just, you know, the opportunity to have a big microphone here? So it's exciting because as I've told people um, that I've done interviews with uh, recently, I was a prostitute. I was a no one. The scripture says that he, the foolish confines the wads. So I, I mean, I'm nobody that you would think of. I and mean, I'm not the the first choice or the first thought in, in people's minds. So to have this opportunity, I don't know how I could cry right now. It's just like, wow. The opportunity to show people that there is a God named Jesus who is real who can snatch somebody from death's door. I've had bullets whiz past my ears because they gunshots come in trying to kill me. I, I've had knives to my throat. And to know that 
that at almost 40, I get to show people and really not only just the pro-life movement, but the world that there is a God named Jesus who is real, who not only is real, but he says, I know your name. I called you and I, I have, um, I knew you when in your mother's womb. I formed you in your mother's womb. He already had a plan and a purpose. So to show people pro-life and everyone that God has a calling on each person's life and that he calls us by our name and then to show people not only that, but I came out and I don't call myself a survivor. I call myself an overcomer because Jesus says that we are overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So at the end of the day, these people that are walking for pro-life, they not only get to see someone who came out of that life and not only is able to have a child who is nine, who is was a was looking to be aborted, but now I'm back and I'm giving back and I'm here helping and supporting and saying, okay, here we go. Let's do this. Let's get more women. Let's get more children. I just yesterday walked around my center and I prayed that God would multiply more women to come into this center and have pregnancy tests done. So, and it would be a positive so that we can walk with them because most women that come in our doors is scared. I was scared. I was scared. I needed someone to love me. I needed someone to be there with me, to walk with me in this, in the darkness to come into light. And that's what I think is just so amazing that I get the opportunity in a minute of like a two to five minute window to say. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> let me just, it's like, when, okay, Jesus help me. This is what happened. No. <laughs> hey, you, you can do a lot with two to five minutes is yeah, all I, I got to say. <laughs> oh my goodness. But it's, it's just the fact of, wow, you know, and, and just to know that there is some woman uh, I've had women call me uh, and say, I needed to hear that. I've had women say, oh, my mother was abortion minded, but they kept, I have, I have letters in my office that I've been, uh, women have sent around the nation that have said, you know, my mom wanted to abort me, but I'm, I'm here, you know, safe. She, instead of aborting me, she gave me up for adoption. And I'm so thankful for that. Like, you know, there's so many stories that I have. Um, over the past year of where, and this is what blows my mind is I've only been a director for a year. <laughs> so, <laughs> this, <laughs> all oh this goodness. has happened over a year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, you hit the ground running, Jean Marie. I yeah. don't <laughs> didn't waste any time here. And that's, and um, that's the beauty. You know, um, I wrote a book called um, Breaking Chains Against All Odds. And in there, it shows my faith walk on how I became a director and how uh, the actual pregnancy center actually helped me through and and how my life was and how I was able to get out. So I'm looking forward to seeing you at the March for Life. Uh, but for people that want to support me, buy your book uh, first off, and then would like to support you and branches, I, I hope there's some opportunities maybe to support financially or through prayer or whatever. Uh, what's the best way that people can follow you, your work and help support you? Uh, well, you can follow us on Facebook at branchesprc.com. Uh, uh, 
It's our, our website. We have also, um, you can follow me on Facebook at G Marie Davis. Uh, and my book is on Amazon. Um, it's called Breaking Chains Against All Odds. And also, uh, once you go, you can see a lot of the stuff that we do at Branches. Um, a lot of a lot of miracles that have come through um, like never before. Um, that is amazing. You can pray for us as we are uh, continuing to expand and, and um, break down um, barriers and walls um, in our city and, and supporting us. Uh, I am truly grateful that we do have our support of our city, uh, and which is very uh, rare. As you have said, uh, it's very rare, uh, especially in this culture and in this uh, nation. Um, but also, too, um, uh, like I said, www.branchesprc.com is where you can go and you can donate. If you want to know a little bit more about me, there's a, uh, information, a little bit about me, bio. I mean, so um, please, by all means, I think we are the f one of the first um, pregnancy centers that we actually had um our police department, our hospital, uh, and pay to come to our gala and be part of it. And also our newspaper um, came and was part of it. We had 33 uh, people who uh, were not saved that weren't Christians. We opened it up to the city, the community, and said, hey, come check us out. Come see what we do. Um, so. Absolutely. Uh, delight, pleasure to have you on. I think your story is really going to touch so many. Thank you so much for having the uh, courage to share it. Thank you so much for coming on, Jean Marie. Yes, thank you, Tom, for having me.